Welcome to the Defiant Podcast. The internet of money is being built with blockchain technology and without banks. We call it DeFi, short for decentralized finance. And this is where you can hear the builders and users of this cutting edge world tell their stories firsthand. I'm your host, Camila Russo. In this week's episode, I speak with long-term crypto investor, Chao Wang. Wang is a partner at the DeFi Alliance and former head of product at Mesari. Unlike many Bitcoiners who get into crypto because of their ideological views or Ethereans attracted by the possibility of building decentralized apps, Wang had been a quant trader for 10 years when he first learned about crypto, and it was the asset's volatility and potential upside what drew him in. Years later, he's still actively trading. We talk about his portfolio and which coins look the most promising to him. Among his current big bets are SushiSwap and Terra, but not for the same reasons. As much as he loves DeFi, he believes there's a bigger opportunity in centralized exchange coins, at least in the short term. He looks at all sorts of metrics to come to his trading conclusions. In the end though, he says, the market is purely driven by memes and Twitter influencers. But it's not unique to crypto. He thinks traditional metrics like PE are also memes and that equity investors use whatever they can to justify valuations. About the current bull market, Wang says he's 90% confident prices will go a lot higher. And while he doesn't like to give price estimates or predictions, he still told me what he thinks the top will be for Bitcoin and Ether. So stay tuned to find out. Before we get to it, here's a word about our sponsors. Check out Kraken, where you can earn additional rewards by staking some of your favorite DeFi assets. With more than 1 billion in crypto staked, including 350,000 ETH, Kraken has paid out 27 million worth of rewards to their clients. Payouts are twice a week and you can earn up to 20% annually. Sign up today at kraken.com and start earning some of the most popular DeFi assets, including Polkadot, Uniswap, Aave, and more. Being a DeFier is about getting access to financial services without the need of banks. A great way to do that is with Ledger. Ledger's hardware wallet combined with the Ledger Live app will enable you to own your crypto and give you the freedom to easily manage your assets. The Ledger Live app lets you buy, sell, exchange, stake and manage your crypto easily and securely. You'll be able to manage and secure Ether, DeFi tokens and lend stablecoins on Compound directly through the app. To upgrade your DeFi journey and access financial freedom, go check out ledger.com. Sirion offers a simple interface to access and use decentralized finance. You can connect your favorite wallet, trade tokens, liquidity provider shares and vaults in a single transaction. And then you'll be able to track your PNL, average costs and fees paid. All of this now is also available on mobile. Okay. Um, so here we are with Chao Wang, a partner at the DeFi Alliance and the former head of product at Mesari. Uh, thanks so much for joining me, Chao. It's great to have you on the Defiant podcast. Yeah, thanks for having me, Camila. Of course. So um, 
I'm really interested in hearing your different perspectives on investing in DeFi. I, I know that you, you are very kind of deep in the weeds um, of, of the different platforms and tokens, and you have, um, you, you've been known to have some controversial takes on the different, you know, crypto um themes so um super excited to to dig into that uh but first um would love to just get to know you a little bit better uh if you can walk us through your pre-crypto background and what got you interested in this space in the first place yeah um so i i did quant trading uh for almost 10 years uh before working professionally full-time in this space uh, as, as head of product, I'm sorry, in, in 2018. Um, during my uh, time as a trader, uh, well, the, I guess the kind of trading that I did was uh, sort of sitting at the intersection of finance and technology. Um, so something like Bitcoin naturally drew my attention. Um, I mean, I, I first learned, learned about Bitcoin in 2011. My friend talked me out of investing in Bitcoin. I'm still mad at him. He's not my friend anymore. But... <laughs> I, I learned about Bitcoin when uh, there. I think there was a day where Bitcoin dropped like ninety percent, uh, and I was like, "What kind of what kind of asset? What kind of penny stock like scam is this?" So I decided to, to take a look, um, but I, I wasn't, you know, super. You know, I just didn't do enough work back in the day. I, I thought like this might be this looks like something that that's being used in in the dark web, so it, it's probably gonna get shut down. So I didn't really look at it uh, even uh, further until like maybe 2012. Um, so, but 2012 was when I really like dug into the details and I felt like, okay, uh, this thing is interesting. It might have a good chance or it might have a, you know, a small chance, maybe 10% chance, 1% chance of doing something really great. Um, and, and the upside might've been, you know, a thousand X. You know, back in the day, Bitcoin was like low double digit, right? And uh, and I was like, um, if something has a ten percent chance of doing a, a thousand x, then the the, exact, the expected value is is well in the positive. So I, I took a chance and it worked out pretty well. And I got into Ethereum very early as well in, in the presale. Um, so I, you know, Ethereum again, I got very lucky because Vitalik went to the same school uh, as I did uh, in, in Canada, wow. Waterloo. But I, I'm four years older than him, so. We never cross each other's path, but when I when I saw that you know these Canadians or especially these uh, students or, or this dropout from Waterloo was starting this project that seems semi legit, uh, I decided to support them. Um, so uh, you know th that's how I got, got into Ethereum as well. But anyway, so that's like my sort of pre full time uh, crypto journey. Um, Twenty eighteen, we started working professionally uh, as as a founding head of product at Masari. Um, so, uh, you know, uh, you know, I, I ran product, built out the technical team and, um, you know, grew the company to like 20, 30 people, uh, cash flow positive. Um, and I left, uh, about a year ago, uh, to, uh, start the Define Lines. Um, can tell more about it later, but that's my, uh, story and my, my crypto journey. Nice. So a couple of questions on that. Um, so you did quant trading for 10 years. I mean, what, I mean, 
where like is were you kind of in like big uh financial institution and and were you trading uh stocks like what what kind of uh trading did you do yeah um so the, the firms that i was at uh they're very well known in within the quant trading space, but the general public generally wouldn't know about them because they're uh, prop trading firms, meaning they trade their own capital. Mm. And so they don't have to be very public. They don't need to do a lot of marketing because they don't raise money from, from outside. Mm. Uh, so they're actually generally very low profile, uh, but they are like, you know, 5% of the entire US stock market in terms of trading volume like 5% market share. So they, they do a lot of volume. Mm. And um, and I, I did that in, in, in New York and, and Chicago. Um, and personally, I traded uh, US equities. And, um, you know, that includes cash. So basically like the individual stocks, mm -hmm. uh, but also ETFs, futures, uh, options. Uh, occasionally, my strategies can be transferable to other asset classes because quant trading is... Uh, sort of like you don't really have to understand or, or study the fundamentals because you trade at more shorter term and mm -hmm. therefore some of the mar market microstructure, some of the uh, uh, qualitative patterns uh, can exist uh, across multiple different asset classes. So the strategy sometimes can be transferable uh, across um, across asset classes, right. uh, but primarily I trade equities. And so it's interesting that you came to look at crypto and I guess Bitcoin at first through this lens of um, equities trading and uh, or like just traditional assets trading. And, and like you said, um, kind of quantifying or like measuring how much the potential was and um, very different approach from, you know, other early Bitcoiners who looked at it as, you know, Bitcoin as a sort of, you know, the hard money aspect or kind of more the ideological aspect or like in the case of Ethereum, it was more of like the the tech uh, potential, like the tech promise um, aspect. So it's interesting that yeah. for you, it was more of like just like a purely kind of rational trading perspective. What got you into crypto? Exactly. Um, so what what drove you to like go full time and, and join join Masari? Like what 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 inspired you to do like make this big shift? Uh, I've just been obsessed with crypto for for such a long time, and mm -hmm. you know I, I was like you know at some point I have to do this full time, and uh, you know 2017 was was the year, um, but also like. I didn't know exactly what was possible in crypto as as a you know as a startup back in the day. Um, like there wasn't anything like DeFi, like you know the the blockchain programming stuff was still very early. Um, mm -hmm. So I was thinking about maybe building a centralized company uh, that provides a, a useful service and product. And given my background in in trading and you know quantitative analysis. Uh, you know, building a, a data service just just makes sense, right? So mm -hmm. that's that's how we started uh, Masari. Nice, um, cool. And then um, right now, I mean, and throughout this uh, time, you've continued to actively trade uh, crypto and tokens, right? Oh, uh, you mean during my time at Masari? Uh, or, or yeah, like uh, through Masari and and just like right now. <laughs> Yeah, right now, I, I, 
you know, I, I'm sorry. I, I never had chance, like I never had the time to, to trade. Mm-hmm. Like building a startup is not easy. Like it, it's, it's a, it's, it's a 200% full-time job. Like you work 80 hours per week and you just don't have time to, to study the market. Um, so, you know, during my time, I'm sorry, I, I primarily just long, do long-term investing rather mm-hmm. than short-term trading. Nowadays, um, you know, I, I, I still, personally, I, I'm more intellectually interested in, in long-term investing. I do a little bit short-term trading. Like I, I tweet about some of the short-term views on, on Twitter sometimes. Um, but uh, even for that, my time horizon is not like intraday. It's more like uh, over the time horizon of a few weeks or even months. So I would say it's it's like medium-term trading. I spend most of my time nowadays still like doing investing, early stage investing and mm-hmm. trying to understand the fundamentals. Um, uh, yeah. So, the, Got it. yeah. And then when, so you left Messari to start the DeFi Alliance. Can can you talk more about that? Yeah, the DeFi Alliance is a it's an open consortium of uh, almost a hundred entities, organizations in crypto now. Um, so that includes uh, you know a bunch of market makers, uh, liquidity providers, uh, exchanges, uh, investors, and obviously DeFi startups. Um, and the way we started was, you know, about a year ago, uh, that was before the compound uh, liquidity mining, the, the DeFi summer, which started with the compound liquidity mining. And, um, you know, the, some of the DeFi, DeFi startups uh, reached out to, to my partner, Imran, and asked uh, and, and said, you know, we really need institutional liquidity. Where do we find them? Where do we find those institutional liquidity providers? And on the other side, we had uh, some of the largest traditional financial services companies or some of the largest uh, market makers, trading firms in the world uh, from the traditional finance world, like uh, Jump Trading, DRW, CNT, like all these guys were looking into DeFi. Like they, they've been in crypto for a long time. They've been in crypto since like, you know, 2013, 2015. Um, but they started, they, they've, and they've always been like ahead of the, of the crowd. And they started looking at DeFi uh, well before the DeFi summer. And they wanted to basically learn more about DeFi. And um, so we saw an opportunity to bridge the gap between these two worlds. And so we started DeFi Alliance. And the first thing that we did was to run a, uh, to, to create an, an accelerator program for the DeFi startups that need institutional liquidity. And uh, we, we basically brought these two groups of people together to, um, you know, the, the, the trading firms basically provide their knowledge, their resources, their liquidity. Uh, to the DeFi startup. So we had ZeroX, Kyber, uh, Synthetics, uh, TokenSet, um, and a few others uh, as part of our first uh, cohort. We had like over 100 applications for the first cohort, which basically instantly took off. Um, But now we're at like cohort number three. Uh, We're doing a lot more things. We have not only uh, market makers as mentors, but also, you know, some of the leading experts in token economics and products uh, in regulations uh, and so on and so forth, uh, as uh, mentors uh, for the um, uh, for the accelerator. So basically, you can think of us think of us as uh, the Y combinator for DeFi, if that makes sense. Nice. Cool. Um, so it's it's really interesting to me that big institutional market makers are were already interested in DeFi as as early as last year, um, yep. or like before uh, the, the summer. So. Right now, 
I mean, there's uh, about like 40 billion of uh, value locked in DeFi. Um, mm-hmm. How much of that would you say comes from, from these players? Mm, that's a good question. I don't really know. I haven't really studied, but I'm guessing like the, the thing with these um, traditional trading firms is that they care a lot about capital efficiency. Mm. Um, so they generally don't put in a ton of money. Uh, they want to really maximize the return on investment. So I would imagine that the, the capital that they have in DeFi isn't that much. Mm. I would say probably well under 10% is my guess, but I, I, I can be sure. Okay. I can be sure. But, okay, but I guess like, I, I don't, I don't really get that. Um, wouldn't you maximize your return by investing more money in, in the system? I mean, well, let, let's take a look at DeFi Pulse right now. Like what, mm-hmm. what are the, like, where does that TVL come from? So mostly um, maker of a compound. Yeah, so these guys okay. are—they're definitely—they definitely don't have a ton of ether in in maker. Mm-hmm. They may have some uh, value locked in Ave for leverage trading, but then again, like it, it's Ave, like the 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 core lending protocols are still capitally in, inefficient. Like it, you have to over collateralize. Right. Um, there are just mm-hmm. easier ways for them to do leverage trading. Like they can do that on exchange. They can do that through OTC. Mm-hmm. Um, same thing with Compound. Curve. So Curve is different because they can put some of their they can park some of their stable coins, uh, you know, in, in Curve and earn some some yield. So mm-hmm. I, I I can imagine I can picture them putting some money in, in Curve. Uniswap, Sushi, Synthetics, like all these AMMs. I don't think I'm not entirely sure, but I don't think they have a lot of money uh, as as LPs because liquidity providing in Uniswap sushi like in these AMMs is very inefficient from a capital point of view. But they could be deploying a, uh, some money uh, for for arbitrage, so arbitraging between Uniswap and SushiSwap mm-hmm. or arbitrage between Uniswap and Binance. And uh, the arbitrage itself doesn't require a ton of money it, uh, being right. locked in, in the protocol. Uh, it's more like uh, you know you, you you leave a little bit of money in the in the protocol and do you turn over the pro- the the capital very fast, very frequently, like multiple times per day. So right. again, like from a capital efficiency point of view, uh, they don't have a ton of money in these protocols. Mm. Um, that that's my so I'm, I'm guessing that their their uh, curve might be their number one. Uh, protocol in terms what of what about TVL. yearn? Yeah, same thing with yearn. Like they, they could par- right. they could be parking a lot of money in yearn or uh, alpha finance. Uh, you know, um, harvest like all these uh, yield generating um, uh, yield optimizers. Mm, that's interesting. Okay, so the way that you think um, institutional players are using DeFi right now isn't so much to do leverage trading via like collateralized loans as it is to as, as a way to park their stable coins and earn yield that way basically that, that, that's my guess uh, and mm. it's an educational it's an educated guess but mm-hmm. i don't have hard evidence for that right um no it makes sense and 
like to arbitrage between DEXs and uh, centralized exchanges too, I guess. Yeah. So talking about institutions, um, because you're kind of, you know, you have a, a connection with them uh, via the, the DeFi Alliance. I'm also interested in, in your take on institutions and Ethereum, because this year and, and last year, we've seen this kind of um, growing wave of big corporations and big investors, uh, even, you know, big banks um, saying they, they're buying Bitcoin or they're thinking of offering Bitcoin to their clients. The same hasn't happened with Ethereum. So i um, interested in your take on whether, I mean, do you think we'll start seeing the same thing happen with ETH too and institutions becoming interested in, in ETH as an asset or no? Not yet. Yeah, this, this is a really good question. And, and in fact, I have a I have a debate with Lynn Alden tomorrow on this exact topic. Oh, um, nice. Lynn, <laughs> um, the, uh, the macro investor. Uh, I haven't done my homework, unfortunately, yet. Um, <laughs> but uh, given what I currently know, uh, well, it, it is definitely the case that uh, there's far more uh, institutional adoption of Bitcoin and Ethereum. And part of that is really because of the macro environment, right? Um, there's a growing... Um, inflation narrative, and obviously the you know the the, the fiat debasement narrative, right? Um, so Bitcoin solves that problem by being this uh, you know uh, limited supply asset, hard asset. Uh, Ethereum could become that asset, that kind of asset in in the next few years. You know, the, the Ethereum might have a deflation deflationary narrative with EIP fifteen uh, fifty nine, but mm-hmm. it's not there yet. Um, so if Ether itself doesn't solve this immediate problem for these corporations and uh, um, you know traditional uh, asset managers, uh, that's why it's lagging behind. But uh, we know for a fact that uh, some institutions are looking to the uh, Ethereum, even DeFi, um, and, and they've bought uh, Ether and DeFi, and those are some of the most uh, I guess adventurous. Uh, institutional uh, investors, um, primarily family offices, uh, hedge funds, who are willing to take, who are, who are willing and able to take risks. By able, I mean, uh, it's it's uh, within their mandate uh, to take risks. Um, and because, and, and that's really like, really obvious because Ethereum is the number two asset, uh, number two crypto asset right after Bitcoin. And it's sufficiently differentiated from, from Bitcoin. And it's obviously the most uh, used uh, crypto network, even ahead of Bitcoin. Like by many measures, Ether is more used, quote unquote, used than Bitcoin. So it's very natural for these institutions to look into Ether the moment they've bought Bitcoin, right? Um, So uh, I think institutional adoption of of Ether, I mean, it's partly is, is here among the family offices and hedge funds. Uh, in terms of like corporate ad- adoption and uh, you know large uh, risk averse asset managers, uh, I think Ether is is I would say probably not there yet. Um, it, I would say maybe I don't know maybe it takes maybe a few months or, or a few years, but I'm not sure. What do you think is missing? Um, It's more about like 
why are people buying Bitcoin? Then why are people not buying Ether? Like it's mm -hmm. not missing anything. Like Ether, obvious. Like both are are risky, but people are buying Bitcoin because it solves a very immediate problem. Without this macro environment that we're in, people like institutions wouldn't be buying Bitcoin, right? Um, like it, it, Bitcoin just is just born at the right place, uh, right time. Mm. Uh, Ether, on the other hand, uh, it's still rather like in many people's eyes, it's still rather a, a venture investment, a venture like asset class, right? Interesting. So, uh, but I can't imagine that once the Ethereum community really figures out the, uh, the monetary policy and the EIP uh, 15, uh, 59, that um, we're going to see a narrative around Ethereum being a deflationary asset. And this can be very attractive to the uh, uh, institutional managers. So, mm. uh, but we'll see. I, 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 like my views update all the time, like constantly. Uh, for now, like you know, I don't have um, a lot of evidence that uh, corporations are buying Ethereum, but things can change very quickly. Yeah. No, I, I don't think we we've seen that. At least, like they're not announcing it or anything. Um, no. Do you think? Um, so okay so one way for institutions to come to DeFi could be this um narrative like competing with bitcoin as a store value with eap 1559 do you think another way into it could be um just like the growing adoption of DeFi? yeah uh absolutely um i think as DeFi grows and um, some institutional investors will want to get exposure to DeFi uh, via Ether. And um, for, for, for many reasons, uh, one reason is that they just don't have enough time to dig into DeFi. Uh, it's too mm -hmm. complex for them. They'd rather to hold an, an, in, an index or a proxy to DeFi. And the best proxy to DeFi is Ether because Ether is very liquid uh, and most De DeFi is built on, 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 on Ethereum. Um, and another reason could be that um, the institutional support isn't there for DeFi yet. Like Sushi is still not listed on Coinbase, for instance, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, they, they added uh, Sushi in, in, in Coinbase custody, but not uh, as a trading pair yet. So potentially like the institutional support, like custody trading may not be there yet, right? So it, there's both a, uh, uh, a logistic hurdle and a, um, you know, just an educa educational hurdle. Mm, right makes sense for, uh, in order for people to buy ether instead of DeFi. yeah yeah got it um okay and then I'm, I'm interested in you know digging into your own um investment kind of thesis and and uh, strategy so you you mentioned mm -hmm. earlier in the conversation that you uh, you're in more of a long-term uh, like fundamentals driven investor is that right i, I like i spend more time on that um, mm -hmm. I like to think about the long term. Uh, short term, I do some of that stuff as well, but not as much as as the long term. And with with DeFi, um, can you say like which which projects do you like like which tokens are you holding? And besides holding just like specific DeFi tokens, are you also using uh, DeFi protocols as well? Yeah, um, you know, obviously. 
actually the the the, 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 the two questions are, are very much related because I much prefer holding the tokens uh, of which I use, mm. right? Like if I use Uniswap a lot, I tend to really appreciate the product and uh, I tend to understand why uh, this thing is valuable, right? So I use and hold um, uh, Sushi, you know, Uniswap, uh, Ave, Compound, um, uh, Terra. Uh, uh, their, their token is called Luna. And uh, you know quite a few others, but it for me the the two I mean right at this moment uh, <laughs> I think sushi is just unbelievable. It's just unbelievable cheap and it's uh, so liquid, and the team is legit and and the trash the the user base is growing. So um, you know I, I just I just love sushi and sushi has gone up like ten x, but I think it's still very much sushi has gone up ten x. Outperform almost everything else in DeFi, and yet still uh, one of the most undervalued DeFi assets uh, compared to 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 the the other DeFi assets, if not the most undervalued. Really? So I I just love the I just love Sushi. Like they generate so much cash flow, and uh, I'm just a big fan of it. Uh, the other one I, I recommend people to look at is is Terra because I just keep talking about Terra because Terra is one of the very few. DeFi products that have a non-speculative use case. Like most DeFi products, uh, they serve uh, speculative activities, um, which is totally fine. But you know, the, the issue with speculation is uh, there is a little bit of a circular circular uh, value accrual logic because, like you know, the, the more people trade DeFi, the better fundamentals the DeFi assets are because they serve these trading activities. And the better fundamentals, the people want to buy DeFi assets, and then that generates more trading, more speculation, more lending and borrowing. So DeFi, by and large, is very reflexive from a fundamentals and price point of view. Uh, Terra is different because they they have a product that um, you know um, that is uh, a stable coin that's being used for payment. And uh, I think last time I checked, four percent of South Koreans have Terra, uh, the product installed and, and, and are users of this product. So Terra is one of the very few products in DeFi that are used for real world uh, economic activities. And so the value accrual is not entirely circular uh, or reflexive or speculative, speculation based. So I'm a big fan of Terra. I, I can't say that they're, they're on, like the, the price is kind of high nowadays. Um, mm. Like it, it's not clear to me, it's not as clear as uh, Sushi in terms of value, from a valuation point of view, but I'm just a big fan of, of the product itself. So Terra is a stable coin and Luna is is the like a more volatile token? Ter Ter Terra is the name of, of the asset. Oh, mm -hmm. sorry, Terra is the name of, of the platform. Luna okay. is the name of the, uh, uh, of the uh, you know, governance token slash like, you know, um, uh, token that gives right to uh, to cash flow, mm -hmm. and then there's uh, there's a stable coin that's that's uh, different from that. Okay, um, and so does does Luna kind of get like fees from like the use of this stable coin? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, oh, from uh, from transaction fees and and a, a bunch of other uh, uh, use cases or uh, cash flow from other use cases as well. So. Um, you might have heard the the mirror protocol. Yeah. Uh, 
mirror protocol is built by the same team. And they're basically a uh, synthetic asset uh, platform, uh, so similar to synthetics. And in fact, um, like maybe a week or two ago, uh, they did more volume than synthetics. They, they, they just launched, they, like they launched like maybe a month ago. Mm-hmm. Um, on the tailwind of, uh, of Reddit, the, the uh, GameStop and, uh, yeah. um, you know, all these uh, retail uh, traders being shut down by Robinhood. Uh, which is a huge, uh, uh, you know, use uh, or value proposition for uh, synthetic asset trading. So uh, Mirror Protocol supports a bunch of um, uh, U.S. stock trading. Um, so uh, I think they're doing great, and uh, their their trading volume is on the same uh, similar order of magnitude as uh, synthetics. Um, but anyway, so I was gonna say. Uh, the activities and the fees generated in, in Mirror Protocol, uh, part of that also uh, accrues to Luna, uh, the, the, the Terra mm. platform. Oh, interesting. Yep. Um, I didn't realize they were from the same team. We covered Mirror, yeah, like right after the GameStop thing um, explosion. Um, yep. And yeah, it was it's amazing how quickly they, they grew right after launch. Um, yep. And then I wanted to get a little bit into into sushi. Like you said, you like it because they're they're generating a lot of cash flow. Like, can you explain a bit more, like why you think it's so undervalued? Well, so uh, number one, valuation is always relative. Like you can't say something is absolutely undervalued, right? Mm-hmm. You can only say it's undervalued relative relative to peers. So if you look at sushi, and obviously I, I think the best comp is uh, Uniswap. Um, uh, sushi, uh, I don't know the numbers, the exact numbers, but mm-hmm. if you look at the cash flow versus the fully diluted market cap, sushi is a lot more attractive than uni. Mm-hmm. Uh, you can also look at the trading volume uh, versus the fully diluted market cap. Sushi is also very uh, attractive uh, relative to uni. Um, other than uni, you can look at uh, things, you can look at some other like decentralized exchanges uh, but they're less clear of a comp. Like you can, you can look at uh, like zero X, for example. I, I'm a big fan of zero X. I think zero X is the 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 most under discussed uh, decentralized exchange in the space, and uh, I hold uh, I'm an investor. Uh, but even like relative to zero X, sushi is undervalued uh, from a cash flow point of view and from a, a trading volume uh, point of view. You can even look at Sushi relative to uh, Coinbase, the, Coinbase, the up- upcoming Coinbase IPO, uh, which currently tra- is trading in the private market, maybe like uh, you know, at least $50 billion, uh, but maybe like $90 billion. Uh, like the, the private market isn't super liquid, uh, so the, the valuations can change a lot. But um, if you compare uh, Sushi versus Coinbase, it's, it's very undervalued. Um, so anyway, so I, you can look at uh, a bunch of comps. Uh, that's generally how I do uh, relative valuation. Um, but you need to, uh, you know, uh, understand that which ones are the best comps, which ones are like close enough comps, and which ones are, you know, not the uh, the, the best comps. But the problem with rel- relative valuation is that at the end of the day, uh, valuation is determined by the market, and if you ask the market participants in crypto. Uh, if you ask like 10 different uh, crypto funds, 
there will be 15 different evaluation methodologies. So everyone values these things differently. Um, so it, it, it's, it's, um, it's very much a, uh, uh, it's very subjective and it's very much of an art and it's not an exact science. Um, but it seems like a lot of people uh, are rallying around uh, relative valuation of uh, decentralized exchanges in terms of trading volume and in terms of uh, cash flow. So as this consensus forms over time, um, it sort of creates a self-fulfilling prophecy uh, for this kind of methodology. Great. Um, Want to ask you briefly about like cash flow for DEXs because I've seen this argument that you can't really consider um, the fees that they get as actual cash flow because they don't go to the platform and they they go to like the LPs. Is that, yeah, that what that's do you think? absolutely that's absolutely a a good argument. Uh, because if you raise the fees, then uh, you incentivize more LPs to provide liquidity. And so there's more liquidity. And then there, as a result, there could be more trading, right? Um, but you know, if you remove the fees, the, the, the opposite happens. So um, the, the fees directly uh, impact uh, the trading volume itself. So you cannot really consider the fees as really like revenue for the for the token holders, right? So that, mm. that's absolutely a, a good argument. But then mm. again, like, like we're still like so early and, and, and people are, have not really formed consensus around this kind of arguments. So it's still very hard to say um, uh, definitively. Right. Um, yeah, so I guess like it might be best to define it as just like, fees relative to market cap rather than cash flow re relative to market cap. Yep, sure. And then it's like TVD, whether that will actually go to token holders directly. Yep. Yeah. Yeah, and, and this is partly another reason why like Uniswap and Sushi are better comps for each other than mm -hmm. Sushi and, and Zero X because the, the fee models are, are, are very different between Sushi and, and Zero X. So, um, it, it, it's very hard to compare the fees side by side. Um, and, and that's why like, I also like to look at the trading volume uh, relative to the, like between the different platforms because the mm -hmm. trading volume is a, a bit more comparable than, than fees. And then on this topic, I saw you tweeted recently that you think um, exchange coins are cheap relative to DEXs. Do you still yeah. think that? <laughs> I still think that I tweeted that this morning. Um, mm -hmm. I mean, if you look at uh, the valuation, fully valued valuation of Uniswap, it's about $20 billion. And if you look at FTT and mm -hmm. BNB, FTT is, I think it's well under 20 billion. Uh, BNB might be slightly over. I, I, don't, I, don't, I can't remember the, the exact numbers, but both Binance and, and uh, FTX do way more volume than Uniswap. Uh, mm. Like their derivative volume is just really, really big. It's much bigger, maybe an order of magnitude bigger. Uh, again, I don't have the exact numbers, but I think it's an order of magnitude bigger. And yet they're priced uh, in the same order of magnitude. So mm. um, I think they're, they're really cheap compared to the DEXs, but you know, the, the counter argument is uh, 
you know, the DEXs have this DeFi narrative behind them, and DeFi are, you know, uh, they represent the permissionless uh, ethos of crypto. They they're more composable. There could be a lot more things that can be easily built, more easily built on um, uh, on the DEXs rather than on the centralized exchanges. Uh, mm-hmm. They're more scalable. Uh, they have less burn. Um, so um, you can imagine that uh, the, the valuation, all else equal, that the DEX valuations can be uh, higher than the centralized exchanges. Sorry, my headphone just uh, went out of uh, battery. So do, do, do you hear me okay right now? Yeah, I can hear you okay. okay. Uh, you, you, yeah. It, it was a little bit off for a second, but, but okay. we're back, so, okay. <laughs> so it's good. Um, yeah, no, that's super interesting that um, that DeFi DEX uh, tokens are valued at the same magnitude as um, centralized exchanges. Um, one, because obviously, you know, centralized exchanges are uh, processing a lot more volume, uh, many times more volume than, than DEXs, but also because I, I have this, I mean, I, and I think there's just this general perception that DeFi is still just so undervalued relative to the rest of of the just like the crypto market. Um, yeah. So I mean, like the, the DeFi tokens should also have a growth premium relative mm-hmm. to the centralized exchanges, because uh, it, you know the 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 starting point is. Uh, is a lot lower for for DEXs than than for than for something like Binance. Like DeFi can grow a lot more, a lot faster than Binance can grow, just because they're starting at a, at a lower starting point. So there is a growth premium as well for the DEX assets, DEX tokens. Um, and uh, another aspect is uh, the centralized exchanges. They have two components. They have a token component and they have the equity component, right? Mm. Um, so a lot of the value actually accrues the equity itself rather than uh, to the token. So uh, the token value is being diluted, whereas uh, you don't have the same problem with uh, DEX tokens, right? All the value should be accrued to the token itself. I mean, I'll, I'll let, you know, obviously there is, they also, have, they also have equity, but in theory, the cash flow can go to uh, the token, token holders. But anyway, so, so these are some of the arguments against um, uh, centralized exchanges uh, or uh, to- uh, exchange tokens being undervalued against uh, uh, DEX tokens. But uh, like I said in my tweet, like valuation is just a meme, right? Mm-hmm. And if the market buys this meme, then, you know, the mispricing will, will go away. And mm-hmm. I think that the mispricing is so, like the, the, the price is like, the, the centralized exchange volume is so much bigger than DEX volume that I think at least some of that pricing discrepancies can go away. Um, I, I think it doesn't exactly, it doesn't completely account for, you know, the, the, the things that we just discussed, the, the growth okay. premium, the equity dilution, um, et cetera. Meaning, meaning that centralized exchange tokens should rise relative to DEX tokens. That, that's that's my thesis. Uh, it may right. or may not happen. Like the market may not agree with my thesis, right? Right. But that that's that's what I'm hoping to happen. And on this topic of like meme, um, we wrote a story today uh, 
with the term memeonomics, <laughs> um, which I think is kind of becoming more and more prevalent in, in markets. And I saw you um, also saying something uh, yeah, similar to this. Why do you think this is this is happening now? And, and, and do you think it's it's becoming like this like meme driven market? Is it something new or has it has it always been the case? Or are we just kind of like noticing this more now because of like Wall Street bets and like crypto? I don't know. I don't think it's new. I think the equity market is also a meme. <laughs> like especially since uh, COVID, like the equity market is just so incredibly overvalued relative to the past. Like if you look at all the valuation metrics for the equity market, it's at all time high. Obviously that's primarily driven by the, by the money printing, but uh, it just means that, you know, the, value, the valuation metrics don't, don't really matter anymore. Mm-hmm. Like, people, like the equity market is just the total meme to me. And uh, people find new ways to justify the valuation. And the moment people do that, like by definition, that's, that's a meme. So I don't think this is anything new uh, 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 about, about crypto. Like obviously crypto is probably more memetic, quote unquote memetic to a larger extent, um, but it's not really new. At the end of the day, people find like valuation and pricing, all these things are extremely subjective. I don't care who said, like, I don't care anyone says about, you know, cash flow, like PE, like all these quote unquote objective valuation metrics. All these are excuses or, or ways that people use to justify uh, the, the market price and the market valuation. Like mm. all these things are subjective. The only difference between equity market and, and crypto is that equity market has a much longer history of people forming consensus around these valuation metrics. Like basically we've had these like PE and value investing since the early days, since the days of uh, Benjamin Graham, who's the teacher of, uh, of um, uh, Warren Buffett. So that has like a, a century old uh, history. Uh, crypto is, is a decade old market. So the memes and the consensus have not been formed yet. But at some point they will. And, and basically what I'm saying is we're seeing a lot of memes and at some point the memes will solidify, will ossify over time, if that makes sense. So does that mean to you, like all the common valuation metrics for traditional markets like PE, to you, like are those the memes of traditional finance? Exactly. That's exactly what I'm saying. <laughs> That's and, a and- funny way of looking at it. And people needed ways to, to price DeFi assets as well, right? Mm-hmm. So then some people ported uh, those traditional finance metrics, such as PE you know, or, or price sales uh, into DeFi to justify the valuation for, for DeFi, um, which, I mean, it's, it's reasonable, it's rational, but at the end of the day, it's still very subjective and, and, um, <laughs> and mimetic. Right. So, okay, so things like like the 21 million cap um, for like for Bitcoin, those are like memes that are driving crypto now and that like the market is solidifying around uh, right sure. now. I mean, I, I don't, the 21 million, I don't think that itself is a meme. Like it, it's, it's a hard fact 
Like it's mm -hmm. literally written there, uh, mm -hmm. 21 million, not exactly 21 million, but it's written there. The, the meme with Bitcoin at the moment, I think is the comparison to gold, which mm. is $10 trillion. And right now Bitcoin is 10% of that. So people use this meme, this digital gold meme to justify Bitcoin's valuation, which again is rational. Uh, it's, it's reasonable. Yeah. Right. And, and just so that we're kind of like in, in, in the same page, like investing around memes basically means um, like simplifying a concept, right? And, and having people kind of rally around that simplified concept. So like in the case of Bitcoin, that's digital gold, like for Ethereum, that was like world computer. Um, and, and these are kind of like the simplified um, arguments for or against crypto that investors are kind of used as um, as like arguments to to buy all these different tokens mm -hmm. in the end. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, it's 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 kind of like it, it seems like 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 such a um, like hype driven way of, of investing, you know, just like buying a token because it has like a, a an interesting narrative instead of using more like i don't know just like hard metrics to to look at these things yeah i mean uh, the it's not unique to crypto it's it's uh, has been for a while in in the stock market as well right especially since the uh uh i guess since the internet since since the internet the emergence of uh, internet stocks which don't generate uh cash flow at least in, in the early stage right mm. Um, people don't know how to how to price these things based on cash flow because there's no cash flow. So people need to find other ways to price these things. So people start looking at sales, right? Like not the bottom line, but but the top line, right? Mm -hmm. And people then start looking at like users, like active, like daily active users, right? Like people need uh, different ways to justify the valuation and to price them. Uh, mm -hmm. Like like humans just have this need to find excuses to, to justify valuations for, for certain things. And sometimes yeah. these valuations, these, these memes just take off, they just, they just go viral and start, people start believing in it. <laughs> and, and, and so, you know, partly that's why uh, it's uh, like, you know, this is unrelated, but uh, crypto influencers uh, on Twitter, uh, they are a uh, necessary component of the market uh, they are a necessary component of, of, of the price discovery mechanism because the crypto influencers, they find a bunch of, way, a bunch of different ways to, to, to justify valuation for, for, you know, for DeFi assets, for, for Bitcoin, for Ethereum. And uh, they need to, some of them are, are really good at articulating their, their valuation metrics, their method. And then when people read these things and if they find it rational, reasonable, they'll start believing in it. And so the, the, the consensus starts forming around these valuation metrics, right? So uh, these crypto influencers, for me, they're, they're a critical component of, of the price discovery mechanism. Oh my God, that's so interesting. Um, can you remember like a, a time when you were influenced by kind of like a Twitter personality and it kind of made you change your mind about a token to the point of investing in it? Uh, like all the time. Like I, I actually like uh, this might surprise you, but I don't actually do a ton of proprietary research. I just read people's stuff, 
And I, I try to, um, uh, you know, basically uh, aggregate information from a, a bunch, uh, synthesize uh, people's ideas and insights uh, mm -hmm. rather than doing my own research. So well, hopefully the defined is useful for that. <laughs> of course, of course it is. <laughs> Nice. Um, and then to, to wrap up, um, we're, you know, it looks like in the middle of a, of a huge crypto bull run, mm -hmm. um, Bitcoin just crossing 50K. Yeah. What, um, and, you know, everyone says it's impossible to time the market, but what's your take on what what's going on um, right now? I mean, would you, are you selling uh Bitcoin and ETH at the, at these levels are are you buying more and what's your if, do you have a price target for end of the year for ETH yeah. and Bitcoin? I mean, uh, like this question depends on on your time horizon, right? You you can be very bullish long term while being short term uh, bearish, like mm -hmm. it, it's entirely possible. Uh, I think for most retail investors, I recommend being long term because you're not going to be the the market in the short term, but it's a lot easier to be the market or at least match the market uh, in the long-term. So from a long-term point of view, like by long-term, I mean like over the next um, maybe six to 12 months, uh, you definitely do not want to sell at $50,000 uh, at Bitcoin. You definitely do not want to sell uh, Ether at 1800. Uh, you definitely do not want to sell the DeFi blue chips uh, at this price. Hmm. Uh, that, that's I'm 90% confident that we're going a lot higher. So people, some people are, are getting uh, anxious about the valuation. People think that we're in a bubble, you know, things are getting crazy, they're frothy, and there are some top signs, top things, right? Like with all, with all these uh, uh, celebrities, like, you know, uh, talking Lindsay about- Lohan. Yeah, Lindsay Lohan and, you know, mm -hmm. all these NFTs and, and stuff like that. I don't think we've seen anything yet. It's gonna get a lot crazier. So- This year? We're gonna get a lot crazier this year. We haven't seen anything yet, so hold your hold your long term back. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Okay. Um, so okay, I guess like I, I need to follow up <laughs> on that. Um, why do you think we're just starting? And what's again like? What's your end of year target? Well, we're not just starting uh, for sure. Like I think we're. I mean, we've gone up 10x from, from exactly a year ago, so we're not starting for sure, but we're definitely not near the top at all. Um, I, don't have, I, can't, I, I can't give a target for end of year. It's, I'm gonna be so wrong. Um, <laughs> and uh, I can only say that the, the top for this cycle is gonna be a lot higher than where we are currently. It's probably gonna be at least over 100,000 at the very least. Uh, for Bitcoin, and probably five thousand for Ethereum. Um, I'm, I'm seventy to eighty percent confident about that. Okay, but what what makes you say that? I mean, Michael Saylor just pitched Bitcoin in front of like thousands of corporate executives, yeah. and they, those people haven't bought yet. They need to set up their their logistics. Uh, they need to convince their board to buy Bitcoin. 499 uh, companies in the Fortune 500 have not bought. Oh, maybe maybe some of them are, are secretly buying, but the vast majority of them have, have not bought. The vast majority of pension funds, I'm not aware of any pension funds that have direct exposure to Bitcoin. Uh, I'm not aware of any nation state that 
that that have bought uh, Bitcoin, except for maybe Iran. Uh, I have no idea. Mm-hmm. Um, we're still so early in the institutional adoption and in the nation mm-hmm. state uh, adoption. We're nowhere near the top. True. Okay, so it's institutional adoption. What do you think will be will continue driving this bull run? Absolutely, it's definitely going to be institutions for for Bitcoin, and uh, the retail will follow the trend. Retail will probably dip their toes into in, into alts. Mm-hmm. Um, so retail will drive the alt bull market and partly the Bitcoin bull market as well. But Bitcoin is primarily institutions. Super interesting. All right, uh, Chao, we, we've come to the, the end of the hour. Um, but I mean, such an interesting conversation. Really appreciate you coming on the show. Um, thanks for your, your time. Um, hopefully, you know, for everyone listening, all your predictions come true. <laughs> and we're, we're not at the end of, of this um, huge bull run that we're seeing right now. Thanks again yeah. for yeah, coming. Thanks, thanks, Camila, for having me. And before we close, here's another word about our awesome sponsors. Check out Kraken, where you can earn additional rewards by staking some of your favorite DeFi assets. With more than 1 billion in crypto staked, including 350,000 ETH, Kraken has paid out 27 million worth of rewards to their clients. Pay a turn twice a week and you can earn up to 20% annually. Sign up today at kraken.com and start earning some of the most popular DeFi assets, including Polkadot, Uniswap, Aave, and more. Being a DeFier is about getting access to financial services without the need of banks. A great way to do that is with Ledger. Ledger's hardware wallet, combined with the Ledger Live app, will enable you to own your crypto and give you the freedom to easily manage your assets. The Ledger Live app lets you buy, sell, exchange, stake and manage your crypto easily and securely. You'll be able to manage and secure Ether, DeFi tokens, and lend stablecoins on Compound directly through the app. To upgrade your DeFi journey and access financial freedom, go check out ledger.com. Sirion offers a simple interface to access and use decentralized finance. You can connect your favorite wallet, trade tokens, liquidity provider shares, and vaults in a single transaction. And then you'll be able to track your PNL, average costs, and fees paid. All of this now is also available on mobile. I'll continue to interview all the major founders and influencers in this emerging space. When DeFi eats the world, you can say you heard them here first. Tune in next week.